Turn your Bibles to Psalm 134. Another message on the song of ascent for the last one. I think I'm going to preach one more message on this last psalm of ascent. Look at Psalm 134 with me. Remember, these songs are the songs they would have sang on their way up to the temple three times a year as they're traveling uphill, up the mountain, uh, through Jerusalem, up to the top of Mount Zion, where the temple of God was built. All the community would come together. They would start from the furthest parts away from the temple and begin the journey towards Jerusalem. And as the roads would fill with family after family, they would be pulling their wagons full of their tithes and offerings, full of their first fruits, the 10% of their crops that had been harvested. All of these festivals would have been arranged around the agricultural season. All of these festivals were at the beginning or the conclusion of a great agricultural reaping where they would gather in their crops. And so each family would fall into the road, into the highway, pulling their wagon full of 10% of their corn that has been grown that year, uh, pulling uh, animals, the firstborn of the bulls and the firstborn of the herds and the flocks of that year. Uh, some of them might have 10, some of them might have 20 that were born that year, some of them might have 50 that were born that year. I've told you before, it's one of the reasons that we do our tithes and offerings the way that we do here at our church, because uh, we don't stand somebody at the end of each aisle and pass a chicken bucket around and try to uh, cause you to feel guilty if you don't give. Uh, what, the, what the early followers of Jesus would have done was on public display. So we have these baskets down front, not to make a spectacle of it, but to, to make it known that it's up to you whether or not you re give return to the Lord for how he has blessed you. And so we just ask that you would come at the beginning of the service or at the end of the service and just place your tithes and offerings here. Because if you can think about it in that day, as they fell into the road on their way to Jerusalem, if I'm in the road and I've got one wagon of corn that's my 10% for that year's growth, and, and Justin has three wagons of corn that is 10%, for that year's growth. And I would have said to Justin, man, God's been good to you. And he would have said, you can't even imagine how good God's been to me. And it was so notable to be able to discuss and even visually examine, visually see, Lord, the Lord didn't bless my corn this year, but look at all these, look at all these lambs. Look how he blessed my lambs this year. Look how he blessed my cattle this year. It would have been a visible appearance of the hand of God that, the literal blessing of God upon your family as you fell into the road on the way up the mountain to church those three times a year. And it wouldn't have been some secret, and it wouldn't have been something you try to keep quiet or keep hushed about. It would have been a recognition of the visible hand of God's blessing upon each family as they came together in the road on the way to Jerusalem. So I want you to have that in your mind as we finish this series on these 15 psalms. These are the songs they would come into the road together and begin to sing all the way up the mountain up there to the temple on top of Jerusalem. Let's read Psalm 134 together. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. 
we looked at this the last time and talked about who wants to be blessed to the Lord, and we talked about it from God's perspective that, that we bless Him and He blesses us. But today I want to focus on one phrase in verse 1. It says, Behold, bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. That phrase, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. The title of this message is Serving the Lord in the Night Shed. I want you to think about as you come to the church, come to the temple those three times a year, what it would have looked out like. I want to give you those three pilgrimages just to discuss them briefly here at the beginning of the message. The first one was the Passover. You know where the Passover comes from. It comes from when God led Israel out of Egypt in the Old Testament. What you may not know is that the Passover feast that would have been held at the temple of God, it was in the springtime, and it was seven days long. So it would have lasted for a week, for seven days. It was a remembrance of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed on that evening before God delivered them out of Egypt, what we call the Exodus. You remember on the night before, God told them to take a, a spotless lamb and to kill it and to sacrifice it and to eat it at your table with your home, uh, all the people in your house there before the table, and to take the blood of that lamb and smear it over the front door of your house, up the side, over the top, and, and down the other side. I want you to imagine the men of this church today uh, on the night before having this, to sacrifice this animal, take some of its blood, catch it in a bowl, go to the front door of your house, and picture your own front door, go to the front door of your house and take some of that blood and walk it up the one side and down the other, across the top and down the other side because the Lord had told them on that night where the blood had not been applied, the firstborn of every family would die. It was not only the family, but the animals as well. The firstborn of every family and every animal would have died. Raise your hand if you're the firstborn in your family today. If your dad didn't do what God called you to do, you would have died that night. Think about that. Let's not lessen in this church the responsibility of the dads, okay? Do not lessen the responsibility of men. Men, if you're not being the man God's called you to be in your family, you're bringing harm to your wife. You're bringing harm to your children. You're bringing harm to your home. God, specifically from the very beginning, holds the man responsible for these families. Men, it would have been your job to do everything in preparation, putting the blood even over the doorpost, or one of your children would have died. That sacrifice was then said to be remembered. It's also sometimes referred to not only as the Passover, but it's also referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You remember on that night, they were also to eat bread that was unleavened. And you know the Bible that leaven represents sin. They were to get the sin out what it was saying. There were to be uh, no leaven in the bread. And the, and the Bible talks about as they left Egypt that next morning, that they, they left in haste and they had no leaven in their bread. And, and so even for a long time, they had to eat bread without leaven. Today, when the Jews celebrate the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they search their whole house for leaven. It says they search high and low looking for leaven anywhere in their house. If it would have fallen into the floor or maybe under the counter, they're looking for leaven everywhere. And if they find it, they take it outside and they burn it by fire. 
They're trying to get all the leaven out, all the sin out from the presence of God as they celebrate the, the Passover. The second festival that they would have journeyed up to the temple for was called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was also a commemoration of agricultural. It was of the, of the harvest of the grain had just finished. The harvest of the wheat was just beginning. But the Feast of Weeks was only one day. How long was Passover? Seven days. Stay with me now. How long was the Feast of Weeks? It's one day. Marking this harvest, they would make this same journey again all the way up through Jerusalem. We talked about the height of the mountain. Your legs would be sore when you got there. Women and some children would need to be carried to get there. But when you get there, this festival was for one day only. It was in remembrance of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai. It is called the Feast of Weeks because it marked seven weeks of grain harvest since the Passover. So you've got the Passover. It lasts seven days. They go back home. And then for the next seven weeks, there's the grain harvest. It would take them about seven weeks to harvest that. That's seven weeks of seven days. Stay with me now. Seven weeks of seven days. Seven times seven is 49 and the next day would be called the Feast of Weeks, which is the word in the New Testament, Pentecost, which means 50th, okay? So the, the Pentecost was the 50th day. The Feast of Weeks was celebrated on the 50th day. It was after seven days of seven weeks, and on the next day they celebrated Pentecost, and it was to celebrate the harvest of the wheat, and it only lasted one day. Of course, you remember the New Testament when God took Jesus in the ascension after the cross and went out up to heaven to be with the Lord again. It was 49 days, seven weeks of seven days, and on the next day was Pentecost, and that's the day that the Lord sent his precious Holy Spirit to fill all the believers so that you can know that God is with you from that day forth and forevermore. That's what we remember Pentecost the most for, is the sending of the Spirit of God. The third festival they would have traveled up to the temple for was called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tents. It was to remember the time that they traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, and they had to literally live like they were camping. They were camping out. They were in tents, moving around for 40 years. Even the house of God was in a tent. We studied that one time. Uh, the Bible calls it a tabernacle, but it's literally a tent. The, the, the place where they worshiped God was also in a tent, and they lived in a tent. And so this is the third uh, pilgrimage that they would journey up the mountain of Jerusalem, up to the high Mount Zion, to the top where the temple of God was. And it was for the celebration of the Feast of Booths. This would have been more in the fall time, and this festival lasted eight days. Okay, the first one, Passover, was seven days. The Feast of Weeks was one day. That's eight. Seven plus one is eight. And then the Feast of Booths is eight days. And eight plus eight is 16. So all together, in a year's time, as they made these three pilgrimages up to the house of God three times out of the year, they would have been up there 16 days. What about you, but that's not very much time at the Lord's house, is it? 16 days they would have been there. 
And so as we take this phrase out of our passage in Psalm 134, this is the last song they would have sung on their way up to the mount of God. And it says, Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. There's something about serving this night watch that needs to be drawn out of this song. And I give you the history of these three feasts, these three times they would come up to the house of God to let you know that it is only 16 days. It would have been a long journey, a tiring journey, a lot of work to get there. I don't know about you, but the last time you went on vacation, do you remember how hard it was to pack up and unpack? I've heard so many people say, we don't go on vacation anymore because it's too hard to pack. <laughs> and sometimes it takes you longer to pack and get ready than it does the actual time you spend there. And so imagine all the effort to take a, a herd of animals, all the effort to take wagons of food, first fruits that God has given you, and you're getting up there and, and worshiping God, but you've only got 16 days. And in those 16 days, during the day, the activity would have been full. Celebration would have been on high. Singing of the choirs would have been elaborate. Sacrifice, sacrificing of animals would have been lengthy and tiring and much to do to, take, to deal with the sins of the people. And throughout the day, it would have been so busy, so much joy, so much fellowship, so much celebration. So much worship in the house of God. But as evening would come, most everybody would go home or, or go to their tents and, and leave the house of God, probably camped out around the house of God somewhere and, and, and just waiting for the next morning for the sunrise to come back to God's house again. I think it's one of the, I'm from the mountains, you know this, from the mountains of North Carolina. I, I know in the mountains of North Carolina when they have a revival, a church revival, they, they usually don't last two or three days long. They'll like to go seven days. I've heard them going 14 days. I've heard them going 30 days. But I think this kind of draws back to this. They think that if you if you really get excited about being in the Lord's house today, you ought to get excited about being in the Lord's house tomorrow and the next day. And they'll go on and on. And I can imagine the excitement every morning for that seven days of Passover as they come to God's house and worship God all day long. But for some people, when the day turned to night, and everybody else was going home, they still had a heavy heart. Some people still had a heavy heart. Some people still had a heavy burden. Some people still had a need that hadn't been met. Some people still had a prayer that hadn't been answered. And some of those people would by night, verse 1, would by night stand in the house of the Lord. They would stay there when everybody else left. Because sometimes when everybody else is there, you miss the one person you came there to meet, and that's God. And this person had a heavy heart who was willing to stay up late and stand long hours and even be alone because the one, third, one person they wanted to meet with, he said a different way, the one person they were desperate to meet with was the living God. That's why they came. And if they had to stand through the night watch, then that's what they would do. 
Number two in your notes, sometimes you need more from God. Sometimes you need more from God. You know, I know a lot of churches thrive on just getting a lot of crowd at church. Just get people to church. Just get here. I want more for you than just church. I want more for you than just church. I want you to be able to walk with God and talk with God and live with God and praise God and worship God. Sometimes you need more from God. Let me give you some illustrations of this. It was the night shift when Hannah met with God and prayed for a child in 1 Samuel. If you remember the story of Hannah, the Bible says she was buried and she could have no children. The other women were mocking her for it, making fun of her for it. And so when the daytime service would end and everybody else would go home and the other women would leave, Hannah would stay. And the Bible says she wept before the Lord. The Bible says that she would not eat and that she prayed and that she wept bitterly. It uses those words. She wept bitterly that God would give her a child and open up her womb. So much did she weep that the priest of that day, Eli, the priest, saw her weeping so profusely that he assumed she was drunk with wine. She's so emotional in this prayer with her God in the night shift that the, the priest there assumes she's drunk with wine. But you remember the story, Hannah often would stay late at the temple when everybody else would leave, and she would pray for God to give her a child. And one day, Eli, the priest, said to her, God has heard your prayer, God's going to answer your prayer, and God did, and God gave her a son, and his name was Samuel. And Hannah did what she had promised God. When Samuel got of age, she took her son and gave him back to the temple of God. And later on, in the days of King Saul and the days of King David, there was only one righteous priest in the land of Israel. And guess what his name was? His name was Samuel. God used Samuel to anoint Saul as king. God used Samuel to anoint David as king. And the Bible says that Samuel lived for God all his days. That's because Hannah stood in the watch of the night shift. It was the night shift also when Jacob met with God and wrestled for a blessing in Genesis chapter 32. If you remember the story of Jacob, he had ran away from Laban, his father-in-law, and took an all, taken all of his stuff and his wife, and he was running away, and he thought Laban was coming to kill him. But if you remember that story, God kind of works that out and softens Laban's heart, and Laban uh, has peace with David, I mean with uh, Jacob, and, and get this picture, Jacob is running away from his father-in-law, okay, who's chasing him, who wants to kill him. He gets that solved, and Laban doesn't kill him, but where he's running to, he's going to meet Esau, his brother, remember he stole Esau's birthright, and he believes Esau's going to kill him. So he's running from his father-in-law, who wants to kill him running to his brother who wants to kill him. And in the midpoint of that running that Jacob does, Jacob does a lot of running, the Bible says it was at the night watch that Jacob began to wrestle with God until the breaking of day. In other words, they wrestled 
all night long. Jacob was somebody who needed to stand in the night watch and call upon God. What was he calling up for God to do? Do you remember? He was saying, Lord, you've got to bless me. He was saying, Lord, I don't just need to get along with my father-in-law. I don't just need to get along with my brother. I need to get along with you, Lord, more than anything else. I need you to bless me. And he was willing to wrestle with God all night long. So much and so heavy was the wrestling that the Bible says that God took his hip out of joint. I, I've not had that happen. Uh, I, I hit my head this week, and my neck went really far this way, okay? Can't tell you the story. And, and I heard a pop, like pop, in my, in my head. I heard it. And, and I'm still a little bit sore from it just today. But I remember hearing that pop. And I imagine that's nothing like hearing your hip pop out of joint. The sound of it. And Jacob still wouldn't let go of God. He said, unless you bless me, I'll not let you go. And you know the story. God blessed him. And even God healed his relationship with Esau because Jacob wrestled with God in the night watch. It was also the night watch when Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts chapter 16. They had been beaten, if you remember the story. And then they had been put in prison. And then they had been chained. Those are three pretty harsh things. They were beaten, put in prison, and then they were shackled, the Bible says. The Bible says that about midnight, that'd be the night watch, they begin to pray and sing praises to God. They begin to tell God how great he is, how blessed he is. And the Bible says that God heard them and began to bring about a great earthquake. And the quake was so great that it shook the chains off their arms and the prison doors opened. If you keep the night shift, people won't know it. Say, so what do you mean? I'm saying if you pray all night, a lot of times people don't know it. If you call upon God all during the night season, a lot of times people don't know it, but God knows it. God sees it. And God hears it. Here's the last one. It was also the night shift when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion. You remember the story the day before they were to arrest Jesus or the night before, and Jesus called the disciples and said, Come and pray with me. You remember what they were doing? They kept falling asleep. They were like, Y'all to preach. <laughs> Some of you, not yet. <laughs> Jesus said, Come pray with me. They didn't feel the urgency of the prayer that Jesus was praying that he felt. And the same may be true in your life. There may be something in your life today that your heart is heavy over. That you could lie awake all night and weep before God for it. But maybe your spouse doesn't. Maybe your child doesn't. Maybe your best friend doesn't. I think that's the way God felt when, when Jesus was praying all night and his followers kept fallen asleep. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 verse 39 that Jesus went a little bit further and he fell on his face and he's, he prayed this saying to God, oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless not as I will but as you will. Jesus prayed that night the Bible says as 
drops of blood came from him as he prayed with such passion for God to let this cup pass from him. But he said, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Let's read your notes. God will not overlook your night watch. You may have prayed a night watch this week. I don't know about it. I may have prayed a night watch this week. You don't know about it. But God knows about it. Your afflictions are always before the Lord. The Bible says your afflictions are so before the Lord, he says they're written on his hands. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 and 16, look at it. Can a woman forget her nursing child? In other words, it's not natural for a woman to forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Isaiah chapter 49. Jesus says, I have inscribed your name on the palms of my hands. I met a guy this week, and I was giving him my phone number. He didn't have a phone with him, and, I, and he said, just give it to me. And I was giving it to him. The next thing I know, he had whipped a pen out of his pocket, and he was writing it on his hand. I, I thought, this guy really wants to remember my number. He's writing it on his hand. Jesus says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your afflictions are known to the Lord. If you stay for the night watch in the house of God, and you, you stay up that late to talk to God, a lot of times our assumption is that we need to do that because he hasn't heard us. That would be a wrong assumption. He has you engraved on the palms of his hands. He knows of your afflictions before you call upon him, but it's still necessary to keep the night watch and talk to him all about it. God does not overlook your night watch. Your afflictions are so near to God that he, he will count them as his own. The union between you and God is so near then in the New Testament, he says that if a man were to strike another believer, not only does the Lord know about it, the Lord counts it as if you have hit him. Think about this, Brad. You can hit me. I'm not going to let you, but you can hit me. Not only does God know about it, he's going to take it as if you have hit him. Look at it in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, what he says to Paul, who was called Saul at that time. It says when, you remember the story, Saul was persecuting the Christians and bringing harm to them, even killing some of them. And then the Lord appeared to Saul as a bright light. And here's what it says. Then Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is saying to Saul, when you've been persecuting these Christians, you've been persecuting me. He so identifies with those Christians who Saul had harmed that he says, you have harmed me. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9, it says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Who's he speaking of there? He's speaking of God. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. 
And the angel of his presence saved them in his love, and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them, and he carried them all the days of old. When they were afflicted, he was afflicted. The Bible is saying God counts your affliction, and, and he doesn't just identify with it. He doesn't just say, I see it. He doesn't just say, I know it. He says, your affliction is my affliction. Think of the power of this. He's saying when you hurt, he hurts. He's saying when you're broken, he's broken. He's saying when you suffer, he suffers. He identifies your affliction as his own affliction. That's how united with you he is. So when you stay up for the night watch, and you need not... You need not hit the symbol to get God's attention and awaken him from his slumber. You need not blow the horn to awaken God from his slumber to hear you. God was hurting when you were hurting. God was listening when you were praying. God was broken when you were broken. And on that night when you stay, when everybody else leaves, and you linger long in the house of God, and you say, God, I need you to hear my voice tonight. God, who identifies with your affliction as his affliction, affliction, is there with you in that night watch, and he knows full well what you're going through. Number four, your night affliction will compel you to return to the night watch for others. In other words, your greatest service in your life you know, I'm talking about your service to the Lord. The greatest, you might call it ministry, or the thing you do for God, that God compels you to do for Him. Your greatest service for the Lord will be discovered in your night watch. Let me give you an illustration to explain it. The illustration, I go back to Jesus and His night watch when He prayed on that night prayer before Gethsemane and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He was saying, Lord, I don't want to go through the cross but if it be your will, I will. Do you think for an instant Jesus was afraid of the cross? He wasn't, was he? We know that he wasn't. He wasn't afraid of the cross. He wasn't afraid of your sin. He wasn't afraid of being beaten or tormented. He wasn't afraid of the nails in his hands and his feet. But we know what he's afraid of because he cried it out later on while he was hanging on the cross. He cried out the Hebrew words, Lama, Lama, Sabachthani, which was to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he cried out on the cross was a, a, a definition of what he was praying for earlier in Gethsemane in his night watch when he was saying, Lord, let this cup passed for me. What he was speaking of there was the, the fact that when Jesus took all our sin upon him, all your sin and my sin and the world's sin piled on Jesus on the cross, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. But because he was becoming our sin and paying our debt on the cross, he, he knew full well what that meant in his relationship to God the Father, that God the Father, who is holy, cannot be in the presence of sin. So when Jesus becomes our sin, there had to be a separation for the first time in all eternity, a separation between God the Father and God the Son. 
And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in that moment on the cross when all of our sin is upon him. It's the worst part of the cross for Jesus by far. Not the pain, not the suffering, not the nails. It's the fact that in that moment he's separated from his father because it becomes our sin. And sin cannot be in the presence of the wholeness of God. So you could say it this way. Jesus not watch. Jesus not prayer was God. I don't want to be separate from you. But if it be you, we all do. And so that was Jesus not shift prayer. God, I don't want to be separate from you. But then do you know that for much of Jesus' life and much of the scriptures of the word of God, do you know what he does for us? He gives us reassurance that we won't be separate from him. Do you see that? His, his night's prayer was, God, I don't want to be separate from you, but then his night's ministry or his night's watch for us becomes, you won't be separate from me. Let me give you the scriptures. Many of them. I, I just have a few here. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and have good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31, 8. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Joshua 1, 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, God's not watch today is what he Prayed for himself in his night watch before Gethsemane. Let me apply it to you. What is your night shift affliction that you have carried to God in recent days, maybe even in recent years? Don't raise your hands, but there are those who in our midst, those women who have had have had a miscarriage. And I know there's great suffering and great anguish that comes with that and and maybe that was your not shift affliction this this miscarriage and so in the future you will take up the not watch for other women who have a miscarriage you will stay up late and carry them to god when you know that other lady has had a miscarriage. For us, uh, one of our uh, recent night shifts is cancer. We've dealt with cancer. We've wrestled and fought with cancer for uh, it's been over two years now. It doesn't seem like that, but it's been two years now. I met a guy this week who's wife had cancer. Because I've been in the night shift with cancer when he's telling me about his wife's cancer, I'm more attentive than the normal person would be. I'm more understanding than the normal person would be. And instantly I begin to pray for him. And I have even this past night stayed awake praying for this man's wife, taking the night watch for her, if you will, because I have experienced it in my own affliction. What if you have a wayward child? 
and you've traveled the, the journey of the, of the night's affliction with that wayward child, will you not respond more graciously, more caringly, more humbly and, and more respectfully to that other mom or that other dad who has a wayward child? What if you have a difficult marriage? And you've laid awake many nights and prayed for your spouse. And you've taken up the night watch many a time and said, Lord, I'm, I'm here with you today for one reason. I want you to help my marriage. When you hear of another marriage or another hardship in marriage, will you not carry that burden more deeply to the night watch for them than you even did your own? In other words, you return to the night watch for others in the area where you've experienced not shift of affliction. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those with weep who weep. And I want you to know that if you have been in the night shift of some sort of affliction, not only will you weep with those who weep, and it will be deeply sincere, and it will be real weeping, and it will keep you awake sometimes at night, but you will also rejoice more so with those who rejoice. Let's use the example of a miscarriage. If you've been through a miscarriage yourself, you will weep through the night and take up the night watch for that family who's gone through a miscarriage. But then when that family gets pregnant and that baby's finally born, you will rejoice greater than all those who rejoice because you've been there in the night watch. You'll grieve with those who grieve. You will rejoice with those who rejoice. And you will take up the night watch for others over and over again because you know the power of staying late after church. And so I want to call upon you in the end here of this message in number five in your notes is, will you take the night watch? I see this, I say this somewhat hesitantly, but also sternly. Is church enough for you? Or do you need more? Some people need more and they don't know it yet. I say yet. Some people need more than just an hour's service. They need more from God. They need to be more genuine with God, more intimate with God. Do you have a need that you've been had lingering upon you, weighing on you, heavy on you for some time, then I would call upon you today from the word of God and say, all you servants of the Lord, stand in the house of the Lord through the night watch and call upon God if you have this sort of need. Do you have an affliction, a, a problem, a, a care that is heavy on your heart, that you're going through some sort of suffering, then you need a season, perhaps a, a week long of the night watch Think about those three journeys they took. The first one was seven days. If you went there for the seven-day feast of Passover and you needed a help from God, a move from God, you only had seven days there at the house of God. And so I imagine some of them stayed all night, seven nights. Think if you were in the second season, the second pilgrimage, and it was that one night, the feast of weeks, that one night. You had one day and one night. I would think that night would have been much more busier than the normal. Think about the next one. It was only eight days and you had only eight nights. Do you have a burden? Would you take the night watch? Do you have a bondage? 
We're drawing near the end of this year. Do you have a bondage to sin that has plagued you again this year like it did last year? Do you have a chain, a shackle of a sin that has a hold on you this year like it did last year? Is your heart growing hard to it? Are you growing weary with it? Would you take a night's watch and ask God to deliver you from this bondage, to finally set you free from this bondage because you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and being beat down by sin that the Bible says through Jesus Christ has no power over you. It has power because you're giving it power. Would there be some men here who would take a night's watch and say, Lord, I need to be set free from sin because fear is harming my family. Do you have a loss of zeal? Do you have a hardened heart? Are you growing callous to the things of God? Is there never a lump in your throat anymore? And are there never tears in your eyes anymore because you have grown distant from God and lost your first love? Would you take a night's watch and say, Lord, I come back to you again? Do you have a friend in need? Do you have a dear friend who's facing marital troubles or financial troubles or some sort of hardship or some sort of sickness? Will you lay awake at night and take them to the living God and take a night's watch and say, Oh, Lord, would you help my friend? I love him so much. Would you help my friend? Do you have a spouse? Do you have a spouse that requires a night shift for you? They may not even know you knew it. They're laying there beside you and don't even know you're awake, but you're wiping the tears from your eyes because you want God to do a work in their life. Do you have a child? Do you have a child that requires a night shift from you? Maybe other people don't know about it, but you know about it. And you would cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm awake tonight because I give this child to you. And maybe you just keep doing that all night long. I give them to you, Lord. And then you wring your mind about it and worry about it and think about it. And you say, I give them to you again tonight, Lord. And then you do that over and over and over. You keep keeping this night shift to turn that child over to the Lord. I would call upon somebody and say, would you keep the night shift for this church? Would you be so bold, so strong, so willing to say, Lord, I'm here tonight to pray for Lighthouse Church. I'm taking the night's watch today to cry out for our church. I love our church. Do you? I want God to use our church. I want God to move in our church. I want God to show up in our church. I want God to make our men be godly men. I want God to make our wives be godly wives. I want our, our God to make our children to love him more than anything in the world. Will you take a night shift? Pray for that. Close with two scriptures. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 19. Arise. Cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. In Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I ask you, based on Psalm 134, 
to take the notch yet. Would you stay with me in prayer? Father, I pray that you would lay burdens heavy on our hearts. I don't ask you tonight to, today to remove burdens. I ask you to help us to be more aware of them, more aware of needs, more aware of people, precious people who need help, who need prayer, who need us to take a night's watch. I pray, Father, that you would make this church full of people who would take the night's watch and stand in the house of the Lord and make petitions to you, Father, that we know that the strong, outstretched arm of God is powerful and changes lives and changes marriages and changes children. Lord, you know my heart sometimes. Sometimes, Lord, I've had that occasion when I've wanted to call all these people together and say, let's just come together. There's a, there's a person who needs to be saved. Or, let's just come together. There's a, there's a person who don't see clearly right now. Or let's just come together. There's a person who's about to do something really dumb. And I so believe in the power of prayer, Father, that you would, you would answer those prayers and shake them. Something like an earthquake shake. And you would cause people to go the right way. Numerous stories in the Bible where you've done it. Lord, give us a church full of people who are willing to take the night's watch pray for those who have needs. Not to begrudge the night's watch. Not to wake up the next morning tired and wish we hadn't kept the night's watch. But to wake up the next morning rejoicing. Knowing that there's power in the night's watch. There's blessing in the night's watch. And there's intimacy with God. With you, Lord. It comes from the night's watch. We love you, Lord. We'll see you in the night's watch. In Jesus' name we pray.